morning, everyone. Did y'all sleep well? Did you hear any bears last night? You thought you did? Did you stay inside? I knew it. <laughs> Somebody's got to be a brave one, don't they? Open the door and see if the bear's going to come inside. Uh, how many of you really want to be here this weekend? I remember when I was your age, you wouldn't want to have known me back then. I would not have been a good friend to have. <clears throat> Spiritual things were the furthest thing from my mind. I just wanted to have a good time, live a life, make a lot of money. And I thought, just right a split second before the Lord comes, I'll give my heart to Him and I'll be saved. I had it all planned. I mean, I was, seven, I was, I was, afraid, I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I went through Daniel Revelation class. I went through, you know, Bible Docs class. I went through all this stuff. I was a senior, I was a pastor of my senior class in grade school and, you know, all the whole business. And I mean, I knew that the Sunday law was going to come and right before the Sunday law came that we could give our hearts to the Lord and we could be like the world and still be saved. Good plan, huh? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because by the time the Sunday law comes, Adventist probation is closed already. It's closed already. You can read it in Volume 7 of the Testimonies. Roland White says, At the time when the door of mercy is still open to one class, God's probation has closed for another. It's Volume 7 of the Testimonies. And it also says in, in Romans chapter 2, it says that salvation comes first to the Jew and then to the Greek. You see, Satan has got us all schnookered and thinking that we can live the good life and be as much like the world as possible and have a good time in the world, which is not a good time at all. Believe me, I've been in the world. When you're in the world, you get scars you never get rid of. You never get rid of. But you see, Satan <clears throat> comes into our young minds that are just full of life and full of desire and full of, of, of anticipation and we want to do great things and we want to live for a cause and Satan holds out the glamour of the world and says, look, you can have all this. Same temptation he gave to Jesus. And he makes it look so glamorous and so beautiful but he doesn't show you the syphilis, he doesn't show you the VD, he doesn't show you all the brokenness and all the hurt and all the sorrow and all the crying and all the pain and you say, man, I'm going to go for that. And for every Adventist like me that comes back from that, there's a thousand that don't come back. I can name you friends that I went to school with at Tacoma Academy and Tacoma Park. Fathers in the General Conference. Fathers in the Columbia Union. Working hard for the Lord who are lost men today. Potheads. Worthless. And I went to these guys and said, guys, you've got to come back to the Lord. Oh, don't give me that Lord business. They'll never be back. You see, the Lord wants us to take bold moves for Him. Do you believe that? The Lord is looking for a few good men and women. How about it? Amen. I heard a story of uh, four recruiters standing up in a, in a gymnasium in a, in, a, in a high school, public high school. Each of them had 15 minutes to talk. And the Marine was last. And as fate would have it, Every, the, the Army man took 20 minutes. The Navy man took 20 minutes. The Air Force man took 20 minutes. Now, how much time does that leave for the Marines? It leaves them two minutes. The principal said, I'm really sorry, but time ran out. Do you still want to stand up? He said, yeah, I want to stand up. The Marines stood up. Have you ever seen a Marine's outfit? Man, they're impressive. The Marines stood up and he said... Only 2% of you in this room are good enough for the Marines. If you think you're in that 2%, come see me. And he sat down. It took 10 seconds. The whole room came to his booth. Because, you see, young people want to do something great for God. God has wired your brains that way. But Satan has come in with a message of impossibility thinking to many of us. Many of us live in the land of impossibility thinking. We look at a task before us and we think, no, that can never be done. Well, I want to show you in the Bible today, the name of my message is impossible. 
I want to turn you to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, and I want to show you what Jesus said when he was here upon this earth. Jesus says, the rich young ruler had come to him, and he said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What did the Lord tell him? Go sell all you have and give to the poor. Verse 22, the young man heard that saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now you've got to understand, to the Jews, the richer you were, the more sure your salvation was. The disciples are standing with their mouths open. They can't believe that Jesus has just broken the tradition that they were raised with. That the richer you were, what did it mean? If you were rich, what happened? You're saved. His disciples heard it, verse 25. They were exceedingly amazed, and they said, Who then can be saved? Lord, if the rich people can't be saved, what about us poor peasant fishermen? Where's their brain? Impossibility thinking. Impossibility thinking. Jesus beheld them, verse 26, and said unto them, With men this is what? Impossible, but with God... What does it say? How many things? Say it, say it real loud for me. How many things? All things. Now, did Jesus put any qualifiers on that statement? Did He say, if you have enough faith, all things are possible? Did He say that? We're going to see what we're saying here in just a minute. Jesus said, if you are doing God's work, if you are doing God's will, if you want to do what God has called you to do, how many things are possible? All things are possible. Now, just so that we wouldn't have any doubts in our mind, look at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had been in the presence of God, in the presence of Elijah, in the presence of Moses. He had heard God's presence with him. He had felt the presence of celestial beings with him. He had conversed with them. He comes down off that mountaintop experience, and here's his 11 or his 9 disciples that are still down there. They had tried to cast out a demon, and what happened? They couldn't do it. Now imagine... All of Jesus' enemies are gathered around. The Pharisees are there. The Sadducees are there. The scribes are there. And man, they're getting the headlines ready. Disciples can't cast out demons. Make a fool of Jesus' ministry. Notice Jesus comes down. He doesn't say, God, what are you going to do to my... What have you done to my ministry? I, can't I leave you alone for ten minutes without messing something up? No. Jesus realized... Listen now. Jesus realized his ministry was in God's hands. You see, when you give your life in ministry to the God of the universe, results are God's problem, not yours. God calls for faithfulness, not results. Jesus knew that there is nothing you can do to disrupt the ministry of God so long as your life is in God's hands. And Jesus comes down off the mountain, and the man said, Master, I asked your disciples to cast out a demon, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, how long will I be with you and not believe? Bring the child to me. And what happened? Jesus spoke the word, and the demon left. And the nine disciples said, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Verse 20. And Jesus said, because of your what? Impossibility thinking. Unbelief. That's what Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says, why many of us will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because of our unbelief, our impossibility thinking. <clears throat> Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, to you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now notice Jesus didn't say if you have faith the grain of an avocado seed. A mustard seed is the smallest seed in the plant kingdom. The Bible says that God has given to every man a measure, a mustard seed of faith. 
You know, I flew here to this meeting. Do I have faith? It takes faith to climb into a tin can with 250 strangers and a man you don't even know sitting at the controls and expect him to take a 40-ton aircraft off the ground. That's faith. What if you get on that airplane and the captain said, uh, Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Captain Griffin with you. and We're going to get this bird rolling at about 150 knots and we sure hope it takes off this morning. Are you going to stay on board that aircraft? I'm not. I'm going to get off. If he doesn't have faith, I don't have faith. How many of you mail your bills through the U.S. Postal Service mail? You got faith. You got faith. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And notice now, he says what? Nothing shall be impossible. You see, in the one verse, he says, all things shall be possible. And now to remove all doubt, he says, nothing shall be impossible. Friends, Jesus wants to move us out of the land of impossibility thinking. When I was in Russia, I heard a story of three men that were trying to escape the communists in the Ukraine. And they were running from the communists, Adventist men. They got to the Ural Mountains, and there the mountains were before them. And they claimed this promise in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. And when they got up off their knees, they noticed a mountain pass that led through the mountains over to either Romania or Austria. I can't remember where it was. And they went through the mountain pass and got rid of their, of their, of their persecutors and their pursuers. And when they went into a little village, the people said, How did you get here? And they said, Through the mountain pass. And they said, There's not a pass for 300 miles. God had responded to the prayer of faith. When the Lord's angel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, he said, you're going to have a baby. What was Mary's response? It's impossible. I haven't known a man. I'm a virgin. I'm pure. But friends, who made the Mary's womb? God did. And if God wants to put a baby there, that's His business, not Mary's. When Moses was called to go down to Egypt to let the Israelites go, what did he say to God? God, I can't go. I can't speak the language. What did God say? Moses, who made your tongue, boy? I made your tongue. If I wanted to speak Swahili, it'll speak Swahili. I had HMS Richards Jr. tell me once, he had a lady write him a letter and say, Pastor Richards, I live in Mexico City. I've been a Catholic all my life. I heard your audio tape on the mark of the beast and I see the truth and I want to become a Seventh-day Adventist. By the way, who taught you to speak Spanish? It's impeccable. He said, Dane, I went back to my, to my library and I listened to the tape. It's all in English. You see, God gave her the gift of ears. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Now, I want to take you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. To, to mark this point, we want to go to Matthew chapter 14. God wants to move you today out of the land of impossibility thinking where nothing good ever happens but once every lifetime. Do you want to see exciting things in your life? Do you want to see God's miracles in your life? Do you want God to use you in a mighty way? Then you've got to come out of the land of impossibility thinking. Notice what happens here. Matthew chapter 14. This was one of the busiest days in Jesus' life. Jesus had been very busy doing many things. One of the things he did is found in Matthew chapter 14, verse um, 15, when he had a group of 5,000 men. Mark chapter 6 says it was 5,000 men. We, that means we probably had about as many women and maybe as many children. There could have been a group of about 15,000 people there that day. And you talk about power preaching. Jesus had been preaching for three days and everyone was sitting. That's preaching, brother. And finally the disciples came and said in verse 15, Lord, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away. They may go into the village to buy themselves food. And Jesus said unto them, they don't need to leave. Give them something to eat. Now Peter looks at John and says, has he been in the heat too long? 
There's no, there's no McDonald's around here. What does he mean? Give 15,000 people something to eat? Where's Peter and John and James and everybody else dwelling? The land of impossibility thinking. Where is Jesus living? Possibility thinking. Jesus knows that with God, nothing is impossible. Do you know I heard a man say once that just to feed all the birds, just the birds, in the state of Illinois would cost $2 million a day. But God feeds them. God feeds them. And that's just the birds in Illinois. Jesus said, give them something to eat. And verse 17, they said, but Lord, all we have is five loaves and two fish. Don't miss this point. Jesus said in verse 18, bring them to me. Do you hear the power in those words? Jesus says to you sitting here today, I don't care what you have, just give it to me and I'll use it. I don't care if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, just give it to me and I'll use it. And I'll feed 15,000, 15 million, 1.5 billion. I don't care how many it is. Give it to me and expect me to do the possible and I'll do it. And then Satan comes, oh no, he can't. You're, you're being presumptuous. You, you're, you're asking God to do too much. Friends, Ellen White says it pleases God when we make the very highest demands upon him. Jesus feeds 5,000, 15,000 people. And how many baskets are left over? Twelve. Imagine as James and John are coming over and Jesus keeps pulling bread out of the basket. James is going, where's he getting the bread? I don't know why you ask him. I'm not going to look foolish. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Just keep getting bread. Their eyes are like this as Jesus does the impossible. And then Jesus says, go gather up the fragments that are left. And they get 12 more baskets. Friends, do you think that would have made an indelible impression upon the disciples' minds that Jesus can do the impossible? Do you think it would have? Now, let's move on in the story. Verse 22. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side where he sent the multitudes away. Now, who are the majority of the disciples? If we had to pick them by occupation, who had the lion's share? Fishermen. Where is the fisherman's comfort zone? In a boat on the water. They are doing what they do best. They are in their comfort zone. Everything is possible when you're a fisherman in a boat. Now notice verse 23. When Jesus sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart. What are the next two words? To pray. How did Jesus stay in the land of possibility thinking? Prayer. You see, prayer is where we see the will of God when we see God and hear God telling us what to do. That's where Abraham heard God saying, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Abraham, praise God, was not living in the land of impossibility thinking. Abraham was a possibility thinker. Abraham knew that even if he offered his only begotten son, God would raise him up. That's possibility thinking. And it's in prayer that we maintain our link with possibility thinking because that's where God dwells. You see, we dwell in the present. God lives in the future. God lives in the future. He knows what's going to happen to us at lunchtime. We have no idea what's going to happen at lunchtime. God knows what's going to happen to us in the year 2,568,532,000. He knows it already. Do you have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow when you serve a God who lives there today? Do I hear an amen? Do you have to worry? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a general who knows every move the enemy is about to make? Hey, I read the back of the book. We win. We're on the winning team. God has already won the victory. Are you living in the land of possibility thinking or impossibility thinking? Now, Jesus sends away... Now, listen to this. Jesus sends away 15,000 people. How long would that take? It takes a long time. These people don't have mopeds or go-karts. They're on foot. And they're all asking questions. And when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up into a mountain to pray, but the ship... The comfort zone of the disciples, where they did what they do best, where they were the masters of their faith, where they were going to show Jesus what a good job they could do, because Jesus had commanded them to go to the other side, hadn't He? Jesus had sent them on this mission. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, average trip from the Sea of Galilee, from one side to the other, should have taken about a couple hours, two and a half, three, four hours. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night... Now, what's the fourth watch of the night? Well, the first watch was 6 to 9 p.m. The second watch was 9 to 12. The third watch was 12 to 3. The third watch was 3 to 6. So sometime between 3 in the, in the morning and 6 in the morning is when this story happened. Now, when did Jesus send them on their journey? Sometime long before sundown, because he had to send 15,000 people away and then walk them into a mountain to pray. And that's when the Bible says that evening came, in verse 23. So these disciples have been out on the ocean at least 12 hours. At least 12 hours. And can you hear them? Come on, Peter, row harder. We're going to make Jesus so proud of us. Row, Peter. I'm getting blisters on my hand, John. You row for a while. I can row. I'm stronger than you are anyway. He starts rowing that boat. But the, the harder he rows, the more the wind pushes him back. Have you been there in your life, friend? Jesus gives you a job to do. And you say, oh, Lord, I'm going to make you proud of me. I am in my comfort zone now. I know how to do this one. What we're going to see in this story is in order for Jesus to use us effectively, we have got to realize that we must step out of our comfort zone to let Jesus work. Because Jesus knows the pride of the human heart. If they had rode across, they, when, when they saw Jesus on the other side, they said, Lord, you would have been so proud of us. The wind was blowing so hard. And look, here we are. But you see, Jesus has to humble our proud hearts. Now, Mark chapter 6 makes an interesting point here. Jesus, Jesus, it says in Mark chapter 6, is up in the mountain praying, just like it says in Matthew chapter 14. But Mark chapter 6 tells us that when Jesus was up on the mountain, He saw them in the boat. He saw them in the boat. I love that. I love that. Because here we are. Jesus is way up on a mountain, close to God. Isn't this a beautiful story? Jesus is as close as you can get to God on earth. On a mountaintop, the disciples are in a storm. Jesus is above the storm. The disciples are in the storm, rowing their little hearts out. Salvation by works. We're going to make Jesus so proud of us. We're going to row this boat better than we've ever rowed it before. After all, we are fishermen. And they're not getting anywhere. Friends, that was my life. Trying to work my way to heaven. Make Jesus proud of me. And not getting anywhere. Buffeted by the storms. Driven by the wind and tossed. James chapter 1. But Jesus was looking on me all the time. Jesus looked on that vast ocean. That vast sea. It's a huge sea. The Sea of Galilee. 
And he saw that little boat driven with the wind and tossed. And Jesus said, Father, should I go help him? The Lord said, yeah, go help him. Now look at the story. We have no reference in Matthew or Mark or Luke in Luke chapter 9 where the same story is referenced that the disciples ever prayed one time. They're going to do this one on their own. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them in his own boat. Right? He hired a boat to catch up with him, right? Let me ask you a question. Could the disciples have walked on water that night too? We're going to see in just a minute. You see, God doesn't care how big the storm is in your life. God, yes, He does, but listen to what I'm saying. To God, it doesn't matter how big the storm is. To God, it doesn't matter how little your faith is. To God, all that matters is you take the faith you have and put yourself in the land of possibility, thinking, knowing that with God, how many things are possible? All things. You mean even walking on water? Yes, even walking on water. You know, I've walked on water once. We have a camp in Michigan called Camp Asable. There's a beautiful lake there, Lake Schellenberger. I walked on the water on Lake Schellenberger. It had much ice on it, but I walked on it. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about here. Because the Bible says that there was a storm on the sea. You can't have ice in a storm and have waves that are driven like this. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, they were troubled. Now, the, the Greek word there says they were sore afraid, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. How many times is our ship of life being driven with the wind. Satan is buffeting us on every side. And we pray to God to send an answer. And when God sends the answer, we say, Ah! It's a ghost! You want me to do that, Lord? Lord, what would my friends think? The Lord sends the answer and we look at it as an enemy. Why? Impossibility thinking. You see, God doesn't always answer prayers the way we think He's going to answer prayers. God doesn't always do what we ask Him to do when we ask Him to do it. He's not our sugar daddy. He's God. We're His servants. It's really interesting. Why did the disciples cry out for fear when they saw Jesus? What should they have known that was Jesus? Here's the bigger miracle. How did Jesus know exactly where to walk on the water that night? The sea is big. It just so happened that he and the boat met up in the crisis of life. Friends, Jesus will always meet you in your crisis. Amen. Because he knows just where you are. He's been watching you from the mountaintop. Can the church give me an amen on that one? That should thrill your heart. Jesus always knows where you are. He's looking at you with a loving eye saying, come out of the land of impossibility, Dane. I've got a solution for your problem. Why did the disciples think He was a ghost? Why didn't Peter say, James, it's Jesus. Here He comes. He's come to help us. What happened? You know what happened. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were constantly fighting about whether there was a resurrection. Some of them believed there were spirits after death. The other ones didn't believe there were spirits after death. Friends, listen to me now. We must guard our brains against the encroachment of doctrinal error because it deceives us when reality comes. Amen. It is important to dwell in the land of truth because it's only in the land of truth where we can be in the land of possibility. Error brings impossibility because error jaundices our brain to what reality is. 
And because they had accepted doctrinal error, when the answer to their prayer came, they didn't see it as an answer, but as a curse. How many people today look at lifestyle as a curse and not an answer? How many people today look at sexual purity as a curse and not as an answer? How many people today look at self-discipline as a curse and not as an answer? But those are God's answers to our dilemmas in our society today. But plurality has come into the church. Immorality has come into the church. And all these weird, perverted ways of thinking have been dressed in doctrinal clothes and we are confused in our thinking and can't see the answer when it comes walking right by our boat. Now look at the great love of Jesus here. Remember, the disciple. can you just see the picture? The Bible doesn't say this, but in my mind, I see these big, brawny, brave fishermen hugging each other, saying, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, look what's it going to do to us. And Jesus looks in on the boat. You know, if it had been me, I have to admit, if it had been me, I said, guys, I just fed 5,000 plus people. Why don't you know it's me? Should they have known right away it was Jesus? Who else can walk on water? They had said the day before, in the hour before, truly you are the Son of God. How many times have you made a commitment to serve God and then a temptation comes and you are buffeted by Satan and you forget your commitment to that Jesus is the Son of God? You're going to solve this problem on your own. You're going to show God that your commitment is real. No, friends, we don't show God our commitment is real. We ask God in the hour of adversity to cement the reality that our commitment is real because we give Him our faith and He changes our circumstances. Jesus looks in that boat of fearful fishermen who are in their comfort zone but totally uncomfortable in their comfort zone and straightway, immediately, Mark says, Jesus spake unto them saying, Be of good cheer. Don't you love that? Jesus is so merciful to us. Be of good cheer. It is I. Now that word, He's saying, it is the I am. It's the same word he said tell to the it's the same transliterated word when he said to Moses, Tell him the I am sent you. It's the same word he used with the Pharisees when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Here Jesus is saying, Be of good cheer. God is here. God is here. Be not afraid. Does that take faith? To be not afraid when you're being buffeted by temptation and trial, when you're being buffeted on every side, when your friends have forsaken you and no one can help, and you hear that voice say, it's the I Am. Be not afraid. Takes faith. Now look what happens here. Good old Peter. You know, Peter was ambidextrous. Did you know that? Peter could stick either foot in his mouth. It didn't matter. Peter was totally ambidextrous. With Peter, it was ready, shoot, aim. Peter answered and said, Lord! Lord! The next word is the biggest two-letter word in the English language. If it be thou. Wait a minute, Peter. Did you just hear Jesus' voice? Do you see Jesus walking on water? Do you see Jesus doing the impossible? Peter, why are you still living in the land of impossibility thinking? Because, friends, once you have lived there all your life, it is awful hard to come out. Lord, if it be Thou, bid me come and walk on water. Was his intention good? Was it? Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Including walk on water? Yes, including walk on water. Friends, if Jesus calls you to fly to New Mexico, he can do it, can't he? When Philip met the eunuch, what does the Bible say? He vanished and was in another place just like that. i got a mosquito trying to get me. Jesus has control over your atoms. 
you believe that? I remember a story during the Reformation when the, Jew, when they, when the Catholics were chasing some, some Huguenots or some, some Waldenses and they were running for their lives and they went by a cave and the angel of the Lord impressed them, run into the cave and their, 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 their persecutors were about five seconds or five minutes behind them and they ran into the cave and they listened and the persecutors ran right by the cave. They were amazed. They said, well, we would have come into the cave. Until they went out of the cave, they understood why. The Lord sent a very talented spider to weave a web across the front of the cave. In no time. The spider was in hyper mode. Can God do anything? I shouldn't get any bigger. Can God do anything? Yes. You see, many of us are living in the land of impossibility. Now notice Jesus' words. Verse 29. Jesus said, what? Friends, listen to me now. When Jesus says, come, the power is in the words to do what He has commanded you to do. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The power is in the command. Come. But Satan's always there to remind you of the land of impossibility. Now imagine the picture here. Remember, remember what it says. Remember what it says in James 1, verses 5 to 6. We must ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that does not ask in faith is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. James may have been referring to this story in his text right there. Like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, Andrew, Peter's brother's right there. Peter goes over to the side of the boat and begins to put his foot over the side. And Andrew goes, No, Peter, don't do it. You're a fisherman, Peter. You're smart. You've never walked on the water before. What makes you think you can do it now? Will Satan always send the Andrews to try to get you to not do what Jesus has told you to do? Maybe Jesus has told you to change something in your lifestyle, something in your wardrobe, something in your entertainment habits, something in your life that's not in line with God's will, a habit pattern. And when you begin to change and people begin to see you try to change through God's power and through God's grace, Satan sends the impossibility thinkers to get you to stay in your comfort zone. You've always been okay in here. You've always done it that way. Don't get weird on us. Don't try to step out of where you are. You're going to get fanatical. That's Satan sending those people. <clears throat> now imagine, there's 11, there's 11 sets of eyes watching one man about ready to step into the land of possibility. Peter steps that foot over the side and he goes, It's hard. Andrew. He steps the other one over. And Peter does the impossible. He walks on water. The first man in recorded history, besides Jesus, to walk on water. And there's 11 men in that boat going, Andrew, look at your brother. How's he doing it? They didn't see the angel of the water going. <laughs> You see, God always has a solution to your problem. Before you get to your problem, God is there. Notice Jesus didn't say, Peter, wait a minute, let me come to the boat and help you over the side. Jesus was on the water calling Peter to Him. We would say, come on, Lord, come get in the boat and we'll walk out together. The Lord says, no, you come to Me. Before you meet your problem, Jesus is already there with a solution. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> the three Hebrew worthies. What do you think was tougher for those three boys that day? To walk into the furnace or to walk out? They throw, they throw Shadrach in. Hey, Shadrach, welcome. I've been waiting for you. Lord, what did you get here? I heard two hours ago. 
I was waiting for you. I knew you'd be here. And the next one comes in. Jesus welcomes the second and the third. And they had converse with the Lord because they were willing to step out of the land of impossibility thinking into the land of possibility thinking and put God to the test. They understood the phraseology of Isaiah chapter 42. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Does God control the flames? And imagine... Jesus says, um, friends, it's time to leave now. Please, Lord, let us stay. We'll spend the rest of our lives in this furnace with you. The Lord says, no, it's time for you to leave. You've, you've met your trial. Now it's time to move. Oh, Lord, please let us stay. Would you be arguing to be staying in the flames? I would. The Lord's in there. Friends, there is nothing so sweet as to go into a trial and meet Jesus there. Amen. Not even, could they see Jesus in the flames before they went in? No. It's only when they were in the flames that they met Jesus. How many times we say, Lord, remove this trial. It's too big for me to bear. Lord says, no, come inside. I'm already there. Peter steps out of the boat. And he begins to walk to Jesus. Now, friends, don't forget this. Look at the next verse. <clears throat> Uh, verse 29. Jesus said, Come. Come to Me. Come to Me. I'm in the trial. Peter steps out of his comfort zone. Don't miss that. Fishermen knew you don't walk on water. He was an expert fisherman. He knew it was impossible, but he was willing to listen to the voice of God. He steps out of his comfort zone to respond to the voice of God. Maybe God is calling some of you here to mission service. You're saying, Lord, I don't have enough money. Who cares? God has all the money in the world. If you hear God calling you, put God to the test. Step out of your comfort zone. Get out of the boat where all your friends are and walk on the water with Jesus. Because you see, Jesus' plan that night was not just to have one man walking on the water. He wanted twelve. Twelve men putting God to the test. Twelve men walking on water. Jesus would have left that boat sitting right there. You see, when we put Jesus to the test, we leave our trouble behind. Jesus had a different solution. They thought it was to row the boat. Jesus said, no, my solution is to walk on water. But what happened? Verse 30, when Peter saw the wind boisterous, how many times do we begin to do the impossible and a temptation comes or a, or a naresayer comes and they begin to blow their winds of doubt. They begin to blow their winds of, 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 of discouragement. They begin to blow whatever stormy wind it is and we begin to take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink. That's what happened here. Peter starts to thinking like a fisherman again. Whew, this is a big storm. This storm could kill me. He takes his eyes off the goal. Friends, what does it say? We should have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed. How many of you here are in medical school? Or are doctors? What does it mean when you say a patient's eyes are fixed and dilated? Are those eyes going to move? They're dead. If we are dead in Jesus, as the Bible says we should be, where are our eyes fixed and dilated? On Jesus. They won't move. You know, I've, it's an amazing thing. You can stand in front of a coffin. A person laying there in the coffin. You say, you are the ugliest person I've ever seen. Your mother was ugly. Your father was ugly. Your dog was ugly. They don't respond. Why? They're dead. Now, I'm not saying we're never going to make a mistake in this life. We're going to make mistakes like Peter did. But what's the goal? The goal is to not let the winds of doubt and strife assail us anymore. That's the goal. When Peter saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. What does the Bible say? There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all what? Fear. 
And he began to sink and he cried, Lord, save me! Friends, there's the key. If you fall, cry for the Lord to save you. Peter didn't start swimming on his own. He called for the Lord to save him. And what does the Bible say? And it says in verse 31, And Jesus said, Peter, swallow some salt water and some fish and I'll think about saving you. Is that what he said? No. Jesus is so merciful. Jesus is so loving. When he saw Peter sinking, the Bible says immediately, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. Now, the biggest miracle of the day takes place. Any of you here a lifeguard? I'm a lifeguard. Have you ever tried to pull somebody out of a drowning situation with their wet clothes on? Where's Jesus standing? In a boat or on the water? And the waves are going like this. So Jesus is going up and down on the water. Catch the story. Let your mind work. Peter's sinking. It's a life and death situation. But he has called on God. And friends, when we call on God, He will never ignore us. And Jesus saw that hand and that fearful face stretched out to him. And Jesus reached down and he pulled a wet, sinking, thriving, struggling fisherman up out of the water and works the biggest miracle of the day. And then Jesus says in verse 31, O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? Wait a minute, Lord. Little faith? Peter? Little faith? He just walked on water, Lord. The Lord is teaching us a lesson. Listen to the lesson. Anybody can start to climb Mount Everest. But only the persevering finish. Anyone can start to walk with Jesus. But only those who are willing to let Jesus teach them and lead them along the way, finish the walk with Jesus. Hold fast what you have that no man take thy crown. Persevere in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith. Persevere and watch unto, faith, unto, unto prayer. That's what Jesus is calling you today. Friends, anybody can start a walk with Jesus, but who's going to finish? Who's going to finish? Jesus wants us to understand today That He's coming soon. And the only way that Jesus can take us to the kingdom is if we have stepped out of our boat, of our comfort zone, and put God to the test. If we have been willing to step out away from our peers, away from those we've been comfortable with, and be willing to walk alone with God. Because you know, one day, the Bible says in Revelation 21, God's going to send a new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down to God out of heaven. You know how much that city weighs? That city weighs a gazillion tons. And the Bible says He's going to float it down like a helicopter out of heaven. And those that have dwelt in the land of possibility, the impossibility thinking, won't be on the inside. Because they don't have the faith to think that God can do it. Only those who have put God to the test, who have allowed God to change their lives, who have been willing to step out of their comfort zone, will be in the city. Is there someone here this morning who wants to say, Lord, I've lived in the land of impossibility thinking long enough. Lord, you're calling me to make changes in my life. Whatever it is, you know what it is. Are you willing today to step out of the boat, out of your comfort zone, away from your friends, and hear the voice of Jesus saying, Come. And hear the power in those four little words.
Is there just one here this morning who hears God's voice saying, Come, step out of your boat, walk on water? I don't want you to stand if you don't mean it. God's tired of people playing church. He wants impossibility. He wants possibility thinkers on his side now. Young people who realize that with God, they can do anything. If there's just one here this morning, I want you to prayerfully stand to your feet. You hear what God is calling you to do, something in your life perhaps, something in your lifestyle perhaps, some friend you need to deal with. God's calling you to step out of your boat and put God to the test. Father in heaven, thank you for this marvelous story. Lord, it shows how you are so patient with us and work with our weaknesses. Lord, you know how hard it is to live upon this earth. You lived here. You know how how the devil attempts us and assails us with the winds and the waves of doubt and despair and skepticism. Lord, thank you that this story shows us that we can do what you ask us to do. Father, you know the struggles that these people who have stood to their feet are facing. You know why they stood. May they hear your voice this morning saying, Come unto me and I will give you rest. Help them to remember today, Lord, that with God, One is a majority. We thank you for the great lessons of the scriptures. Help us, Lord, to appropriate them to our lives. That there will be just someone in this room who will begin to show that you can do all things through us as we submit our wills to you. Please guide us on this Sabbath day. And Lord, what has begun here in this little camp area, may it begin a groundswell movement that will reach around the world to wake up a sleeping church and a sleeping world to see that Jesus is soon to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.